0: We're going to look at 1 John uh, chapter 3, 11-18 through 18 this morning. 1 John chapter 3, 11-18. through 18. Now, I've titled this message, The Power of Love. And if you're an 80s kid like me, right about now you've got Huey Lewis in the news going through your mind. You're thinking about Back to the Future. Every time I'm up here, I'm talking about Back to the Future. But you're, you're thinking about the movie Back to the Future, you know? It makes a one man weep and another man sing, right? But we're going to see this morning that that's actually a mistaken view of love. So if you have your copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to 1 John 3, 11 through 18. If you don't have a Bible this morning, there should be one in the pew right in front of you, a black one. And if you're kind of new to the Bible, not sure where it is, it's pretty easy. 1 John, open the Bible, go to Revelation, the last book in the Bible, put it in reverse, you'll get to the three letters of John pretty quick. Okay? So we're in 1 John Chapter 3, verse 11 through 18. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another, unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us not love in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Father, as we open your word this morning to study, I pray that you use it to cut deep within us. It is quick and powerful, but your servant is not. So Father, speak through me this morning. The truth that you would have us to learn. And we, this we pray in the strong name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. So, this passage that we're looking at this morning has to do with love, loving one another. It was written by the Apostle John, but it really reminds me of a different John. It's a guy by the name of Johnny Cash. No, I'm not a I'm not a huge country music fan. I'll just put it out there right now. But I really like Johnny Cash. I don't know what it is about him. I like his songs. I like his look. You'll see me. I'm going to start dressing like that. Just the man in black. We joke about me when I have my guitar slinging it over my back, and you know. But there's just something about him. But I read an article once in which Johnny Cash said that you could put all of his songs that he wrote into three categories: love, God, and murder. And, you know, he actually released a, a compilation CD box, a box set, before he died called just that, Love, God, Murder. And, uh, but that's really, that's really what this passage is about, love, God, and murder. It's a Johnny Cash passage. We need to understand that what the Apostle John is saying here is as we grow together and abide with one another, um, we need to be loving one another. So let's take a quick overview of this first letter of John before we get into this. In this letter, John is providing assurance to God's people that they were children of God. He's writing for us to know to know that we belong to God, that we're in the family. In fact, John helps us out and gives us a purpose statement for this book so that we can understand what he's talking about. And that purpose statement is is in 1 John 5, uh, 13. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John wants us to know that we have eternal life. And that's important. That's assurance of salvation. In fact, John uses that word no over 40 times just in 1 John. He uses this word no over and over because he's writing to a group of people who were were very confused as to what true faith was. He's writing in a day of what you might call theological vagueness. There was a big mystery out there as to what it meant to be spiritual, what it meant to walk in the Spirit. It's really similar to today's New Age relativistic spiritual movement where you hear all kinds of craziness like affirm the inner light within you, or if it feels right to you, then it must be right, or truth is whatever I want it to be, whereas John is writing to provide distinction. He's writing to provide contrasts. You'll see contrasts all through this letter. There's darkness and there's light. There are children of the devil, there are children of God. There's truth and there's lies. There's life, there's death. There's love and there's hate. There are distinctions all through this letter. So, in a, in a culture like ours, and in the day that he was writing, John is trying to provide a way to know that you have eternal life. He really provides ways of knowing, tests, if you will. Some of them deal with truth. What do you believe about Jesus? Some deal with righteousness. What, what does your life look like? Some deal with the spirit. Are you walking in the spirit? And some deal with relationships. Are you loving one another in the church? And that's what we're talking about today, loving one another. We all need help in this area, loving each other. I know I do. Um, that's what John's dealing with, with here. We're all relational beings. That's how we're created, in the image of God and meant to be in relation with one another. No one was made to be a lone ranger. It's not good to be alone. We were made for relationships, so we need help learning what it means to love one another. We also need help because we all face, we all face conflict. Now, I'm not looking for a show of hands, but how many people here this morning in your life are facing conflict. We all face conflict. That's what happened when sin entered the world. Friction exists, and we rub against each other all the time. So how do we deal with this friction? How do we deal with conflict? We also need to learn about loving one another because our culture has a warped view of love. We need to learn from Scripture, not the world, what love is and we also need help because as a church we're going to disagree from time to time loving people does not mean that you always agree with them but it does mean that you don't hate them and you don't gossip about them and you don't slander them we can disagree agreeably when we understand what it means to love one another and probably one of the big reasons that, that we, the church, want to cultivate real, loving relationships is because the world is watching. And they should be seeing something different here than they see everywhere else. Something that draws people to it. You want a growth plan? You want an expansion plan in the church? Just this is it. Love one another. So as we look at this passage this morning, it really breaks down into two parts. First, there's the priority of love, how central love is. And then, second, is the practice of love. How do we love? So, the priority of love, verses 11 through 15, John really tells us three things. First, we should follow Jesus' teaching and example. We should follow his teaching and example. Notice verse 11. For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. So what does he mean when he says that you have heard from the beginning? See, John is is not referring here to the beginning as in the book of Genesis. He's referring to Jesus' own teaching. He's simply stating, hey, I got nothing new. I'm just telling you what Jesus already taught. We should love one another. And he says it. In the present tense, meaning that we should be constantly loving one another. Now, when Jesus taught about love, he taught about different types of love. He taught taught about love that you have for God, love that you have for your neighbor, love that you have for enemies, love that you have for the least of these, love that you have for strangers, love for your family, and love between Christians. And that's what we're talking about this morning. So where... Where does Jesus talk about this? Well, I'm glad you asked. So put your finger there in 1 John and flip back to the book of John. Flip back to the book of John, verse 13. Verse 13, 34, and 35. Jesus had just finished washing all the disciples feet and he says to them here I give you a new command love one another just as I have loved you you are also to love one another by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another now why does he say this is a new command weren't we told in the Old Testament to love people sure we were but but I think what what's new about this is that is that he modeled it, and then he empowered it. He modeled it, and then he empowered it. In other words, the Old Testament tells us to love people. And what Jesus did is, is, is he came in the flesh and showed us what it looked like. And that's important. Not only did he do that, but he, but he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He gave us his spirit, which now empowers us to live out that command. And we need both. We need the example And we need the power because we can't do this on our own. So Jesus gives us both. If you're there in John 13, I still hear pages flipping, but I'm going to make you jump to John 15. We're doing some calisthenics here, some holy calisthenics, right? John 15, uh, verse 12, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. See, Jesus puts emphasis on this. And then in in verse 17 of chapter 15, he says, this is what I command you, love one another. This is pretty important to him. Let me show you how much. You don't have to follow me on this, but just listen. Romans 12.10, love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. Romans 13.8, do not owe anyone anything except to love one another. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Galatians 5.13, for you were called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. First Thessalonians 3.12 And may the Lord cause you to increase and overflow with love for one another and for everyone, just as we do for you. And on and on and on we could go. Obviously, God thinks our loving one another is extremely important. So let me ask you. How seriously do you take this command of Jesus to love one another? Do you take this command as seriously as the commandment, don't commit adultery? Do you take it as seriously as thou shalt not murder? Is it on your mind when you gather here on Sundays or throughout the week? Is it on your mind when you are talking about other believers do you see what I'm getting at? How seriously do we take it? We love one another. Yeah, yeah oh yeah, I do. I love, I love other people. But do we do it as importantly as John and Jesus are making it out to be? Is the church for you a place where we come together just to do some singing and listen to some sermons? Or is it a place where we come together as a family and you are personally responsible for the well-being of your brothers and sisters do you love them that's how important Jesus makes this out to be and John and I got to tell you that that hits hard and Jesus modeled it for us right back in John 15:12 he said love one another as i have loved you. Think about what was going on in that room as he's saying this. He's wa- he just washed their feet. Now i don't know about you. But i've seen some pretty disgusting feet. <laughs> and these guys open-toed open sandals, dirt roads and who knows what else. I'm sure it wasn't pretty. I'm sure it wasn't pretty. last thing I would want to do is kneel down before these guys and wash their feet. But here is God in the flesh, humbling himself, kneeling before them, washing their feet. Something only a slave would have done. And all of this only foreshadows the ultimate display of love and humility. His sacrificial death on the cross. So just imagine that room. Jesus on his knees. He's washing John's feet, and then he's washing James' feet. And then he's washing Peter's big, hairy feet. I mean, that's, how, that's how I picture of Peter, you know. And he comes to Judas. here's a guy he knows is about to betray him. And what's he doing? He's washing his feet. How many of you would have washed his feet? How many of you would have grabbed that basin and probably just knocked him right out? That's what I would have done. But I'm not, thank goodness, I'm not God. He's washed, he has 15 hours to live and he's washing the feet of the one that was about to betray him. He's serving. He's modeling. He's being an example. He's loving the disciples. The second thing that John tells us is to learn from Cain's example. We're to learn from Cain's example. Follow Jesus' example and then learn from Cain's example. Don't be like Cain. Verse 12, unlike Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So from Cain, we learn we must avoid jealousy and hatred. Do you realize the first man to die in history, in Scripture, was killed by his own brother? Don't be like Cain. You're to be your brother's keeper, not your brother's killer. Cain's problem was wicked jealousy. He was jealous of his brother's righteousness. His brother's offering was accepted while his was not. Jealousy turned to hatred, and hatred turn to murder the reason there's conflict among relationships is because there's a war within each and every one of us if you don't take care of your own heart and you let jealousy and hatred form then there will be relational conflict and for Cain it led to murder you may be thinking well I've never murdered anyone maybe not physically but if you have hatred for somebody in your heart Jesus compares that to murder now, from Abel, we can learn to expect something from those who have no faith, and that is hatred. Verse 13 says, do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. So John says, Cain killed his brother because he was jealous that his deeds were righteous, and we, we shouldn't be surprised that the world hates us. Well, what did Abel do? Nothing. So you're telling me? That if I just worship Jesus and love people, people might hate me? Yep. Yep. You have to put those two together. Jesus told us, if they persecuted me, they'll persecute you. The only thing that Jesus ever did to them was die for them. And they hated him for it. That's the thing that's interesting about loving one another. When God's people love one another, some people will be attracted to it and believe. They will see something unique and want to be a part of it, and they'll want to believe. But other people will look at you loving one another, and they will be turned off by that. They will have a sense of hatred in their heart because of their own convictions. I mean, think back to the statement of Jesus in John 8, 12 where he says, I am the light of the world. That brilliant, pure, shining light in the darkness of a broken world. Some people will be attracted to that light. But some people, some people will scurry away out of fear for what it will reveal in them. Don't be surprised. It's like a baseball player. Should not be surprised to get hit by a ball. Football players shouldn't be surprised to get tackled. A soldier shouldn't be surprised to get shot at. And a Christian should not be surprised to be hated. Do we want to be hated? No. No, we don't want to be hated. But we have to learn that some people will see righteousness and hate it. They killed Jesus for it. So what should we expect? We need to learn from Cain's example. The next thing we learn that John tells us in verses 14 and 15 is that that we have to test the heart. We have to test the heart. Verse 14 says, we know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. So let me ask you, has this happened to you? Have you passed from death to life? Do you feel the spirit working inside you? Do, you? do you have love for your family, for your church family? The Bible says that you are either in death or life. And the one way to know is if you have love for your brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. When you pass from death to life, you receive power to love. You receive a new heart, a new life, new passions. You're now able to love new things. How many of you can say that since you put your trust in Christ, that you love things and have an interest in things that you would never have had an interest in before? Your affections have changed. Your desires have changed. This world and the things of this world the things that you used to pursue are no longer as attractive to you as they used to be because you went from death to life. Praise God, you're alive. When you become a Christian, you get a new family, you get a new heart. This is the evidence of life. Now, we know that because we love one another, it doesn't mean that we will always agree. But as we said earlier, we we disagree agreeably, right? There's no hatred. There's no murder. Or as verse 15 says, no murderer has eternal life residing in him. To hate someone in your heart is murder. That's what this is talking about. It's not saying that anyone who has murdered will never have eternal life. Because if that was the case, where would David be? Where would Paul be? No, what what John is saying here is that the, the hatred or malice in your heart towards someone, that's what he's talking about. No one who has this hatred abiding in their heart has eternal life abiding in him. Words are potent, and words are powerful. We need to be careful how we use them. For example, this word, hate. I hear people saying it for all kinds of things. I hate coconut. I hate country music. I I don't really hate country music, but you know. Or I hate you. I I hear kids saying that all the time to each other. But God uses that word hate to describe his utter revulsion of sin. It's a powerful, powerful word. And John equates it here to murder. We need to be careful with our words, we need to be careful with the thoughts that we have. We need to learn from Jesus' example, we need to learn from Cain's example, and we need to test our own hearts. That's the priority of love. Can you see how important this command is? The second part of this passage in verses 16 through 18 talks about the practice of love. We just saw the priority of love. Now we're going to talk about the practice of love. And it really tells us two things. Tells us two things. We know love because of Christ. We know love because of Christ. Verse 16 is great because it's, it is so simple. This is how we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. Consider that this morning. Christ loves you personally, individually. He loves you. The world is seeking to be loved, right? Right? I mean all you got to do is turn on the television and look at the commercials the the world is begging to be loved by something or someone but Christ loves us personally and Jesus loves us not because we're good he loves us and then makes us good and we know love We know what love is because Jesus has come. Now, all this talk among Christians in love and loving one another probably sounds strange and probably a little weird to unbelievers. You know, they probably picture some kind of hippie commune where people are floating around singing, all you need is love, you know, and handing out flowers, right? But that's because they don't understand what love is. It's not mushy-gushy. In fact, our culture needs to understand what love is. If you go to a college philosophy class and the professor asks what love is, you are going to get a ton of different answers. For example, people want to believe that tolerance is love. Tolerance is not love. You don't replace truthfulness for tolerance. Rather, you speak the truth in love. But that's what people think love is. Others think it's just about sex. Like if a couple goes out to a nice dinner and then they see Twilight Part 12 and, and the guy says, I love you, he's just giving you the ticket to something else. That's not love. Or our culture also has a, a, a diminished view of love. We use love for everything. I, I love the mornings. I love the beach. I love donuts. To the point Where it means nothing anymore. So that guy that tells you, that says he loves you, he might love you like a donut. (laughs) And that's about the level of it. There are a lot of guys out there who will say, I love you. But he loves a lot of things. And girls, you need to be afraid of that guy. Others think love is just a sentimental thing. You know, what we call hallmark love, you know, the mushy, gushy, warm, and fuzzy type of love, right? That's why pe- people fall in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out and in and out of love. But John will not let us miss what love is. Love is Jesus Christ laying down his life for us. If you go into that philosophy class with this definition, you, you're probably not going to be accepted. But you can stand on this truth that God demonstrated his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. John won't let love be just philosophical. He won't let love be mystical. Love is Jesus Christ laying down his life on behalf of sinners for you, for me is life a ransom for many. When you are urged to love in the New Testament, it always has the cross in view. So when it says, husbands, you are to love your wives, we're not talking about donuts. It's not sentimentalism either. It's husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. Every ethical command related to love is rooted in the cross. When it says, forgive one another, why? Because I feel like it? No. No, it's because God and Christ forgave you. Love for the Christian is centered on the cross. So every relationship we have should be viewed through that lens. Go and love the least of these. Why? Because Jesus loved us when we were the least of these. So love for the Christian is passion plus action. It's passion plus action. Not just emotion devoid of anything actually happening. Our passion should lead to action. And listen, sympathy. Sympathy is not a substitute for action. Your sympathy is not helping the poor. Your sympathy is not reaching the lost. Your sympathy is not building a real relationship with a broken and hurting brother. What your brother needs is action. The cross is not just Jesus saying, hey, I feel really sorry for you. Jesus came and actually did something. And that's what John is driving at in this text, in the, ne- in the next few verses. It's not enough simply to talk about love. We display our love by deeds, by action. So we know love because of Christ, and we need to show love like Christ like Christ we show love by sacrifice look at the end of verse 16 we should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters now let's pause for a moment and consider a few things about the apostles who's writing this book John right 1st John 1st 2nd 3rd John John is and um, what do we know about John who is his brother it was James, right? James. Now, we're not talking about the same James that wrote the book of James. That's the brother of Jesus. This guy is the brother of John, John and James. In their, in their early years here, they, were, they had the nicknames the Sons of Thunder. Okay? Why did they have those nicknames? Well, because at one point when the Samaritans didn't believe in Jesus, they wanted to call fire down from heaven and burn them all up. These were two guys you couldn't trust with lighters. But now John is writing to us about love. That's just amazing. He's, he's known as the apostle of love. So how, how does that happen? How, how does a son of thunder turn into the apostle of love? Same thing that happens to us. He passed from death to life. That's why you should never give up on anybody. If God can do it for John, and if God can do it for James, who became the first apostle murdered for Christ's sake, if he could turn these guys around, then he can work in your life. Or consider consider Peter. Was Peter this mushy, gushy, lovey-dovey type of guy? No. No. He pulls out a sword and cuts a guy's ear off in the garden, right? I've already told you, I picture him like this. He's kind of this big, burly, hairy guy, you know? Always ready for a fight. Yet in his letter, he tells us to love one another deeply. Look at these guys, men. Look at these guys. If you want to be a man who loves You are not being called to be a wimp. You are being called to be a tough man who is a tender man. A man who is self-controlled. A man who learns to channel those passions to action. To love one another as we're commanded to do does not mean that you can't win a fight. It simply means that you have chosen a different fight. You've chosen a different path. You have come to love one another, to lay down your life for your brothers and sisters. We are to show love like Christ. Now John gets a little more specific in verse 17. He says, if anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need, but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Pastor Lonnie was preaching on this last week out of James 2. It's not sinful to have possessions. It's not a bad thing to be rich by the world's standards. But what Scripture is telling us is that you have the means. You need to be generous with what you have, whether that's money or possessions or food or clothes, or maybe it's the ability or knowledge that would help somebody in need. If you have that and choose to shut your heart against them, to ignore them and not to help, how How does the love of God abide in you? Once again, John is not going to let us make love something that is superficial and vague. John says that Jesus showed us love. And now you can go show love by being sensitive to the needs of people around you. So you say you love people. But here's a question. Who are you loving? Who are you loving? Give me a name. Give me a face. A person. You need to be specific and pointed. Pour into someone. Come alongside of someone. Build a relationship with someone. Because to say that you love everybody in general is really just an excuse for loving nobody in particular. Think about that. To say that you love everybody in general is just an excuse For loving nobody in particular. Who are you loving? And finally in verse 18. John brings it home. He says little children. Let us not love in word or speech. But in action. And in truth. Love is not just making a good speech. Love is not just talking about what needs done. Love Is action. It's passion. Plus action. Not just words and speech. But in deed. And in truth. Talk is cheap. But action shows love. So a final challenge for you. And it's pretty easy. But it isn't. Show Love daily. Show love daily. What can you do to show love this week? Living the Christian life is not easy. It's hard. It takes effort. I heard it explained this way once, and I'll close with this. Think of your life as worth $1,000. Okay? We tend to think that giving it all to the Lord is like coming to him and laying that $1,000 at his feet. But in reality, for most of us, he sends us back to the bank and has us cash that $1,000 in for $1,000 worth of quarters. And we go through life putting in 25 cents here and 25 cents there, listening to that neighborhood kid's problems, spending time with someone who just needs company, who needs somebody that's willing to sit and listen. Helping someone move or or with a project, visiting someone in the hospital or visiting someone in a nursing home or somebody that's homebound. Usually, giving our lives to God isn't glorious. It's done in those little acts of love, 25 cents at a time. So, how are you going to love this week? Where are you going to put your 25 cents? May God help us learn what it means to love one another. Now if you're here this morning and you're not a believer or you're not sure, we want you to know that we love because he first loved us. 1 John 5:11 and 12 says this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life and that life is in the son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. It's that simple. Do you have the Son? And if you don't, I beg you, I beg you, come to the Son and have life. Learn what it means to love. If you have questions, find me after the service. I would love to spend time answering as best as I can and explaining to you. would love to show you from scripture what it means to have life and to love as he first loved us.